straight-A student, a great athlete. He was going to Stanford. All-American baseball player. Hey, 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 come on, come on. It's way too loud. One day, he's going to be in the Just whimper. Can you whimper? This is a day of celebrating Kenny's life. What are you doing? Go, go cry outside, for God's sake. I'm not coming to enough already. You, I can't hear a thing. Shut up. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You are here with your host, comic Nick Munez. We are debriefing to close out August Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence, a bestseller getting into every minute situation and the social faux pas that go along with it. How hard should you cry at a funeral? If it's a North Korean funeral, you better be the highest crier in the room. Is it emotionally intelligent to disassociate on speed like Robert Downey Jr.? Every ounce of the show today will be as scientific as it is silly. My bottom bitch Jane Goodall once told me any damn monkey can pass an IQ test. Our author today is showing how those who succeed favor the emotional brain. Yeah, tell that to the sociopathic spectrum-shattering Wall Street bros inventing algorithms. Monkeys actually are better at these short-term memorizations. You've all seen the videos of them beating people at Sudoku squares. You should have handed your SATs out the window to your most apish friend, according to Goldman. Aristotle said, anyone can be angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, now that is not easy. You know, anybody could beat a kid, just pass down the anger to the next generation. Today we're learning about how to manage anger, sadness, depression. He gets into amygdala hijacking today and how you should dose your own dopamine. And it couldn't have just been my school where the kid who would fly off the hinge was also really bad at math. Like these things aren't mutually exclusive. If you're high emotionally intelligent, it doesn't mean you're really bad at geometry quizzes. You can be high in both or low in both. We've been questioning a lot on this show what smart and stupid even really mean you go deeper and you learn about suggestibility and how that affects emotional development as well we've been reading some aldous huxley and as long as someone is suggestible enough you can get them to commit the manson murders life is a comedy for those who think and a tragedy for those who feel from the jump goldman gets into how the most emotionally intelligent of us aren't always using their powers for good if you could choose one superpower in the modern world, you're not choosing super speed or laser beam vision. You're going to be charisma, man. Could have half the country eating out of your hand in no time. It's about time to hear a word from our sponsors. of an inspirational twinge to the show today make sure you guys are subscribed over on patreon harry schwant on instagram is getting a new meme every night and these hike videos are reaching a new level get subscribed daniel goldman he's a science journalist for 12 years he wrote for the new york times reported on the brain and behavioral sciences 1995 he dropped emotional intelligence and it was on the bestseller list for a year and a half and it was a bestseller in many countries, 40 different languages it was interpreted into. You know your book is good when other countries are volunteering to translate your book for you. Usually you got to put the whole package together. Goldman has been writing books on topics like self-deception, creativity, transparency. He gets into meditation. This isn't some seven habits book. He is really talking brain anatomy. Mr. Renaissance man over here. You got to watch out. 
because his Wikipedia backdrop is in front of the World Economic Forum. These are people that are saying America should become a country of renters. By 2030, you're going to own nothing and you will love it. Goldman is <laughs> infiltrating the elites. And in 2006, he had another follow-up book, Social Intelligence Beyond IQ, bestseller in 2013, Focus, The Hidden Driver of Excellence. Before Chapter 1, you got another word from our sponsors. Oh my god, what are they doing? What are you doing? You guys must actually be a... Support the program, Every Listener Matters. Chapter 1, Emotional Hijacking. What are emotions? Famous case in the 1980s we started the book with, the Chauncey family. They were on an Amtrak heading from New York down to South Carolina, some Hilton Head in the middle of the summer, a family trip. Out of nowhere, a runaway train busts off the tracks, off a bridge, and you got five train cars about to sink underwater they're filling up the chaunceys a family four are holding their kids while they take their last breath up at the roof of the train car it's all fully submersed then dad gets the biggest boost of adrenaline he's ever felt and he's able to kick out one of the reinforced window panels on the amtrak train the kids are able to fly up to the surface the dad doesn't make it out alive they Mom swims up to the surface with the kids. Dad's body is to never be found. The story of the Chaunceys went pretty viral in the 1990s. The kids, unfortunately, didn't grow up unscathed. Living knowing that you should have died generates a lifetime of unnecessary emotions. It shouldn't have been me. I could have helped someone else. Think about Batman. That kid should have gotten shot in an alleyway. Instead, he spends his whole life as a vigilante trying to balance justice chasing clowns around the city. Gonna have that potent hole in your heart forever. Daniel says love creates altruistic emotions and acts where you can sacrifice your own life for others. Humans are not rational computers. You can use your emotions to sacrifice for someone else. I find it more interesting how in these life or death situations, you got like a car parked on top of a kid a mother is able to lift the car and you hear that about the stories in the news because women are powerful <laughs> but your brain has this like overdrive mode where when the mother lifts the cars it blows her quads off of her humerus like your muscles are stripped from your bone structure when you do that all-out amtrak kick through the window your brain has these governors on it we got to get rid of the governors to truly be free. Making the point abundantly clear in the beginning of the chapter, the heart can have control over the head. And to understand behavior, sometimes you have to look at the corazón, not just the mind. I mean, marriage alone proves how passion overwhelms reason. Daniel's choosing a kid dying in a train crash to scare us. <laughs> Daniel said... From a young age, kids will scare their parents, and there's no rationality behind that. They say evolutionarily, it's because we learned how to hunt. So do you chide your child for practicing a skill that we have bred out of us, or do you just go along for the ride and be emotionally intelligent? You could snap on your kid and start spanking him. <laughs> Cited Civilization and Its Discontents, the Freud book, which, yo, I found this out recently. The guy who owns Netflix, <laughs> he is one of the great nephews of Sigmund Freud. And his dad is one of the owners of the five media companies that own America. But that's pretty crazy. Like I've been saying for months now, and I'm starting to piece it together, that Freud is just attributed with some of the studies of the 1900s. The guy was doing coke. It's like how people are making art for Hunter Biden and then putting his name on it. Friggin' Freud's lineage is still cashing out. I'm pretty discontent with this civilization. Freud would say, emotions overspill in excess. How friggin' groundbreaking. Yeah, if you get a little bit too angry, you're going to start calling out the CEO of Netflix. Freud would also say how caution, 
fear is the most primal response, and it's contagious, and it can be tweaked. Same era as those Huxley suggestibility tests. It's the government science being put out there. At least they're letting us know, hey, we're going to hijack your limbic system with fear. Anger increases blood flow to the hands, which is why you might be privy to hit your kids. When you're fearful, blood goes to the legs, which makes it easier for you to flee, but harder to construct long-term plans. So when you're scared, all your blood is in your legs and you can't actually think of a way to overthrow the bureaucrats. Happiness inhibits negativity and increases available energy. So like anger is toxic. It really does make you lethargic, whereas being happy gives you more energy. Love reduces cortisol and increases oxytocin. That's not giving you energy like serotonin happiness. Love is like a coma. It's the opposite of fight or flight. You feel comfortable. It's a natural relaxation state. You need it to rebuild. Lastly, disgust is one of the five main emotions, and it's universal in all animals. You see your dog when it smells bad poop. It snarls its upper lip. The nose goes upturned. This is how you could tell if someone's eaten something that you shouldn't. Goldman is saying you cannot be fully enlightened if you don't know how these root emotions affect your neurochemistry. He got back into the Chaunceys a little bit and the lack of rationality we have. At the end of the day, it would be the most rational for human beings to only help themselves. We still need the saints, though, the nuns. Several times in the history of humanity, civilization was down to just a few thousand people and a few dozen North Americans at one point. You need these mass morals of selflessness to carry on. I mean, what are we talking about? There's seven billion people. Are you writing this in 4000 BC? He says even if you are a selfish person, the way to develop the neocortex is bridging the duality. Like, you don't just have to be this one thing forever. You can make choices that you wouldn't normally make. You probably don't know this. Martin Luther King burglarized an Upper East Side apartment early in his career so his wife and his two-year-old daughter could eat. So we should throw out uh, Kwanzaa Black Power Day in Juneteenth because MLK was a criminal. We should throw out the Constitution because Thomas Jefferson had slaves. There's nuance in life. I mean... People who cannot see that good people do bad things are not very intelligent, period. Not even just emotionally. It's that Horace Walpole quote, Life is a comedy for those who think and a tragedy for those who feel. Your hippocampus and your amygdala are traitors. You got this emotional leftover from the Stone Age that we could all just be little functioning droids and society would be a lot better. <laughs> better quotations less crime neuroscientists call that link between the hippocampus and the amygdala your nose brain before you can even comprehend what is happening in a situation you're being hit with pheromones there's all this you could feel someone's fear radiating off of them and it really does communicate from your amygdala to your hippocampus which is a non-conscious part of the brain like your prefrontal is where all the thinking takes place, hippocampus. This is reptilian brain. So if you see someone else cowering in fear, you can't help to also be infected with the anxiety. You have like two little almond-shaped nodes in your brain. It's on the left and the right side, and those are your amygdalas. The side brain is directly linked to smell. So I bought up the pheromones before. We don't even know what our lesser attuned senses are putting into our brain. So if you get a side brain injury, you're not as likely to get laid. You're smelling the wrong chick's odor. <laughs> Scarier that the amygdala can store your emotional memory. So if you do get conked on the side of the head, there are people that have high IQs, but then they forget the smell of their mother's cookies. You know, you get hit in the back of the head, you're blind. You get hit in the front of the head, that prefrontal, you turn into a lovable mongoloid. The amygdala is your emotional sentinel. Remember this for the book today, those two little almonds in your head? It's the crow that flies above and sends out the signal for the rest of the pack. Caw! 
the trip wires, the hardest part about behavior. We're definitely going to be talking about triggers. This is the end of the chapter here. Cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, Alcoholic Anonymous, things like 12-step programs are built off of CBT. You have to be able to identify whatever the sentinel is that sets off this brain function. To be emotionally intelligent, you have to live within a small emotional bandwidth. And our emotions have a mind of their own, which can hold independent reasons. Like it can hijack that rational brain just because you're emotional about something. Learn about these things. The more you learn, the easier it is to control. And by the end of this book, you'll be a guru harmonizing emotion and thought. Let's hit up chapter two. When smart is dumb. He starts us with the Greek motto, recently rebranded by the Six Mafia, Know Thyself. Jason H. was a straight-A student at Coral Springs, Florida. He defined himself by his grades. Every school had one of these kids that carried around a home supply office store in their backpack. Jason H. had this teacher, Mr. Pollagrudo, physics teacher, who gave him an 80 on a quiz. This was jeopardizing Jason's sense of self. Jason H. decided to go through with stabbing Mr. P. repeatedly with a kitchen knife in school. These smart kids sometimes are the least stable. The violence is a symptom of anger which is going to overfill at some point, so should he take it out on himself or on the person who made him angry in the first place? Lots of times things are non-linear. We can't trace back the cause to the effect. But we do know that stress is what maxes out smart people. If you're able to mitigate your stress, you could reach a whole new level of intellect. This is when smart becomes dumb. Emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize what complex the anger is stemming from. Jason H., thought Mr. P was his only friend because he's a smart kid and teachers are the only people that will talk to these kids. And he didn't think that his friend would give him a B, so he decides to stab his friend to death. Where is that anger coming from? Not from Mr. P, not from himself. It's likely misattributed anger here. He definitely didn't learn that Plato quote. <laughs> Just the right amount of anger. He cited a study latter half of this chapter of 500 schoolboys providing their education performance and their IQ. And over 20 years, it was one of these long-term studies, IQ or uh, school grades have no correlation to life achievement. This is like counter to the Malcolm Gladwell academics who think, for every 10 points of IQ, you're making 10,000 more dollars. But then you read the Chris Langdon case where it's, you could be the best guy at puzzles in the entire world. You're likely just going to move off the grid and get away from the crap. IQ, Daniel is saying, has nothing to do with success. You know, schoolwork or high grades, some people say the SATs is the closest thing the normal person takes to a... It's nothing like an IQ test. IQ tests, you're looking at like 3D pyramids and guessing the number of blocks. I don't remember that section on the SATs. I... <laughs> I remember after the SATs, I put my balls on the handle of the proctor's car. That is high intelligentsia. <laughs> you have to learn how to learn. Like, schoolwork does nothing more than give you that meta-ability to acquire skills, which is good for maybe six years. Not necessarily everybody needs 12 years of learning how to learn. That's why your grades are not a representation of your IQ. It's just so an employer can see how easily you'd be brainwashed. This Project Spectrum study of 400 boys showed a correlation of success with number of activities tried. A guardian's job is to find the skill compatible for their child. School is meant to streamline. School. This is the factory it's designed after. You're supposed to standardize every single child so that they're able to scan stuff at a grocery store. There you go. There's studies on homeschooled kids who earn more. The school system, unless you are seriously born to be a peg in a hole, this is just going to damage your child. Emotionally, especially. <laughs> Locked in a room with a bully for eight hours. I spent a while talking about how 
Spock would prioritize cognition over data. Got to take advice from the space Jew. Knowing your emotions, learning to manage them, and how to motivate yourself further can be more powerful than just playing the odds. You're in like a survival situation. Oh, I shouldn't go fishing today because it's windy and I'm going to get cold, so I'll burn extra calories. Well, then you're taking out the chance that you're going to catch a fish. I'm just doing gambling odds now in the wild. The natural casino. Self-awareness. Last part of the chapter is the ability to recognize the mix of intelligence and how you compare. Knowing thyself can come from actively observing others or years of ruthless introspection. The more self-aware you are, the less engulfed you become by your emotions. You can still be passionate which is employing your emotions into something, your natural state is indifference the more self-aware one becomes. He ended it on a cool note. These intrusive brain signals, when you feel like you're the least aware in the room, you walk into a local bar where everybody knows everybody and you're wearing a sequin shirt. This response is called a somatic marker. Like most people just brush it away. Why are all these people looking at me? Shouldn't they be enjoying their beer? You shouldn't be here. The deeper you get to know yourself, you get this spider sense of somatic markers for being cringe. <laughs> you gotta fine-tune your neocortex for nuance. He called it plumbing the unconscious, or as Plato said, chipping away at your ignorance. Stay vigilant. Chapter 3, Passions Slaves. In ancient Greece, they had a word for this concept, people who can't separate themselves from their passions. Sophrosin. It's sophomoric to be sophrosin. The definition is using care and emotions in conducting one's life, opposed to tempered balance and wisdom. Sophrosin. Managing your emotions as a full-time job. When you choose to neglect it, you become dull and passionless. So it's even more annoying. You can't just turn off the emotions and then be emotionally intelligent. You have to train yourself to friggin' frazzle drip, little by little bit, IV drip <laughs> happiness into your brain. That is if you want to be socially successful. Self-regulation is made easier with pharmaceutical help, but there's many different kinds of dispositions that we're lumping into the same thing. This chapter is starting to get into pharma. There's many different kinds of anger. Everyone experiences road rage. This isn't the same type of <laughs> latent anger you feel wasting your time at a minimum wage job. Every second you hear click, click, the talk going by and seconds of your life being wasted on something inconsequential. There's different types of rage and lashing out at one isn't effective as... Others, you know, if someone does have that road rage, you got to tell yourself, okay, this guy is having a medical emergency. He wouldn't be this much of an asshole. you got to lie to yourself to be sane in this world. <laughs> rage rush is caused by the amygdala, that side brain. You have to feed into it to maintain the response. This is something a lot of people don't know. If you get mad when the guy cuts you off in the right lane, if you forgive yourself immediately, you might stay mad for 30 seconds people that <laughs> get mad and stay mad for life you have to tell yourself a minute later oh that guy was such a piece of shit i'm gonna get him at the next light you have to keep feeding into anger to maintain this response it's literally non-sustainable to <laughs> always be mad long-term anger is the number one emotion people have the hardest time escaping because it kind of feels good it's almost like you're tricking your brain into some illusion of power. When I do that, I still fucking flex every muscle down to the sphincter when I get angry. It feels like I have some sort of control over the situation when in actuality I'm creating ulcers. The only way out of anger is to actively cool down because that latent anger will just compile for years and years and years. Think about it like a video game. You know when you friggin' use your mana, you cast a spell on someone, you have a cooldown meter? That's exactly what rage rushes are with your amygdala. You run away from home as a kid. The anger fades pretty quick. Oh no, 
Where does one hunt dunkaroos in the wild? Is there a bedtime out on the streets? <laughs> Certain situations, it's much harder to maintain your anger, especially when you do hold zero power. Duke University studies were showing that eating and shopping do not relieve cortisol. So stress remains high. People who are shopaholics or you have a snack at the end of the night to take the edge off, it does nothing to lower your collective level of anger. These chemicals are pretty potent. The most constructive periods is right after a cool down when the rational brain takes back over from the emotional brain. Daniel's like, this is when you can reintegrate why did this anger happen? You could start to identify those triggers. He said, instead of shopping and realizing that eating isn't helping you, retribution can bring back some sort of uh, osmosis in brain chemistry. So I guess we should just let family members of those who were murdered kill the assailant. If retribution reduces stress, shit, man, I've been ripped off by places I've worked. You definitely feel better when you go back and you steal from that chain. <laughs> All emotions are running this background software. And he says anger is the most destructive and anxiety is the most abundant. Later chapters are going to get into anxiety. Thoughts are nothing more than a passing train. It's like um, digestion. You produce burps. And so if every thought was a burp, are you going to start to ponder your belches as well? These thoughts are just like your brain sweating. You don't need to entertain every single one. Subliminal depression, he said, is also known as dank joylessness. <laughs> That's memeable. Some people are just more melancholy than others. Therapy doesn't work on chronically depressed people. Like, serious chemical imbalances in the brain need to be evened out. He said rumination is just a strain for some people. Like, if you are really, you have the big D, not just this I don't like my job depression. If you are truly at a loss for the world, yourself, and everyone around you, ruminating going into a room with a therapist for three hours a week and just meandering on all your problems it doesn't help a lot of depressed people sure the therapist is making a lot of money having to be reminded to breathe daniel is saying is the ultimate distraction that's what you want life is not happy you need to distract yourself from the suffering breathing exercises are the cheapest way to do it rather than talking to a professional just buy a brown paper bag <laughs> teach yourself a breathing exercise and if you do study deep into anxiety because as a kid i convinced myself that i had um lupus what's that thing when you can't breathe it's not even a real disease <laughs> you need an inhaler i remember i had the inhaler for a month and i was like this is fucking gay I'm just not going to have asthma anymore. And I started running, and that cured it. So, like, sad people maybe being happy can cure it. you got to do the opposite to balance out that chemistry. Obviously, can't just tell a sad person to be happy but go for a run. Of course, it seems like it's suffering, but <laughs> you got to learn to love the pain if you're that deep on the other side. I was saying I was looking into how anxiety, a lot of that stems from the inability to breathe. Because I've told stories on the show about being claustrophobic as a kid. And it's just you think your air is going to run out, so you start to freak out. It's all mental. Like, there are levels you reach as a runner as well, where you're telling yourself, well, if I get to the top of this hill here, I'm going to be out of breath. You could dig deeper. And then it's just your muscles that you're fighting with. It's not the best example. I think if you're stuck in an iron lung, you're going to be pretty damn claustrophobic, even though... Your lung functions are taken care of by this coffin you're in. Anxiety could come from friggin' anything. This chapter was about anger as well and keeping that in check. It's being a slave to your passions. Sophronism. Unflappableness, he ended with. It is an upbeat denial or a positive disassociation. I mean, this is better to be around than some people who just want to be sad all the time unflappable <laughs> I wish maybe that would be the superpower nothing can ever get you down 
positive disassociation. Yep, everything's okay. This is the best country on earth. We've never been locked down for a year. Goodbye, liberty. Nothing's ever been better. So maybe you don't want to be around these people all the time. You also don't want to be around the flappables or the negative dissociators. Like some people, you can convince yourself you are sad and you never want to get out of this sadness. And don't blame that person. Don't try to drag them out of it. That's actually a healthier bandwidth to live in than someone who's manic depressant. People are radically different. There were these Duke studies that found that crying helps women escape from many depressions. And for men, aerobic exercise helps as well. So when I go on these tangents about running and lifting, just know it is what will get you out of a mini depression. Read some Victor E. Frankl, Meaning of Man. If you're ever depressed, go help somebody. Sitting and ruminating on your own troubles is only going to make you sadder. Chapter 4, The Roots of Empathy. This one started with a story about a surgeon named Gary. He went through a bunch of wives, and they all thought he can't listen. This guy's a surgeon. He's obviously able to listen to his professors. He memorized hundreds of bones. The wives just didn't feel heard. He's listening, but he's not reacting. Like, <laughs> oh, you hear this a million times. He just doesn't listen. He's listening, all right. He might be tuning it out, but the noise is getting to his ears. People want to be heard. They want you to react to what you're saying. So even if your wife didn't get together a tight five minutes, you're not supposed to let her bomb. You got to remember when you were a kid and someone got hurt, you would like run over by them and lay down on the ground and pretend to be hurt yourself. Remember that? And then that other kid would start to feel better. That's what it is in the mental level. You got to let people know, oh my God, your life is so sad. Your coworker didn't talk to you. Gary considers himself a lexithmic, which makes him good at his career. It's the indifference to other people's emotions. <laughs> so it's classified as a disease and he needs to be medicated by Big Pharma. But he's just found a way to not let other people affect his mental state. Empathy comes from self-awareness. So just like passion, you can turn it on and off. And the best sociopaths can turn off empathy for years at a time. How can you know how your wife feels if you are unaware. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm just telling you out there, tell your wife that you're a lexithmic. <laughs> I can't listen to your stories anymore, honey. I'm sorry. Doctor's orders. Sales, management, and romance all come down to empathy. You're a dick salesman. You got to make the woman or the guy buying a car feel like he's being heard. Oh, you need a big enough sedan to drive the kids to soccer practice? This is a real unique story here. I'm listening. Top-tier salesmen who understand why a customer needs something makes more money than an engineer. This is like that intro to the show, how Daniel Goleman is like, people succeed more who know how to manipulate others, not engineers who know how to manipulate the physics of the earth. These guys are friggin' alchemists. <laughs> but again, the American psychos are the ones who make the most money. They did this test at Harvard. It was called PONS. And it measures nonverbal sensitivity. There are people at Harvard that know how to read entire chalkboard long equations, but they can't read a room. Same thing was displayed in vocal tone in that Pons test. Some people are unable to decode the most sarcastic voices. Like thousands of kids in this study showed up and some were super empathetic and they had enlarged amygdalas. It's that source of crying. Women have giant almonds in their brain. And something that these cognitive behavioral therapists say is imitation is close to attunement, which is the true act of seeing through another's eyes. So if you can act sad and react to the person telling the story, then you can attune to yourself how you should be in that social situation. <laughs> now I really feel like a sociopath because I'm breaking down how to be empathetic. David said when men have kids, they naturally become more attuned to their empathetic tendencies. Yes, uh, become trans, male to female. If you start hitting yourself with estrogen, I've worked with 
people at coffee shops who are male to female and when they're growing tits they're definitely more prone to cry because of an angry customer these are not made up stories <laughs> what the hell man i am spock space jew living with these morphic species right now <laughs> politically correct humor misattunement is responsible for marriages failing if the marriage is working your brain becomes one like they say when you're married you don't even remember half the things you need to because you know your partner has that other information in storage he's like if you can't attune your brain to your partner what are we doing here love marriage is like a shit if you have to force it it's probably going to be pretty messy that pond study was pretty cool though you could read um a tale of two cities but you can't read your wife's feelings <laughs> uc berkeley also did a study showing couples who are able to pause an argument and then argue the other side have much longer shelf lives this is like debate club 101 you have to argue the other side what if you tried to get your girlfriend to choose the restaurant that you're going to eat for that night switch roles and situations Think about like the stranger we read. How could you punish a guy who doesn't feel bad for protecting his own life? You put him on death row. Some people will never be able to attune to the mass consciousness. Why does everybody feel religious? Think about jail is full of psychopaths, people that don't follow any rules. And then a smaller percent, 2% are the sociopaths who are able to follow their own rules. And these people are very emotionally intelligent. They can act up a real tearjerker in the courtroom. Attunement can save you from death row. He ended talking about serial killers a little bit and how there is a fundamental disconnect. These people are the epitome of a psychopath. You have a high IQ, but they just don't care about morality. <laughs> so you can kill people. Daniel said, bouts of psychopathy are more common than you think, and you're more likely to be killed by your spouse than some stranger. Like, people go crazy for short amount of time. And he did more of these <laughs> tips, like how to not appear like a killer in your social circle. I think you're beyond help, especially from an unprofessional like me. And you're probably not listening to the show Emotional Intelligence if you don't know how to smile. He basically just ended this chapter on how to be a social chameleon. What a sociopath does. <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. Cardinal social sin is taking the lead too soon. Let people who need to talk get it all out and then mirror whatever they want. Chapter 5, Managing with Heart. Your brain can't always compute exactly how someone else feels. So if you're trying to think, okay, I'm in this person's, my wife's situation right now, I would just tell my boss off and then tell my other coworker to stop being a bitch in the lunchroom. You're trying to use your brain to rationally understand this situation. What you have to do, he's saying, is empathy is tied to your heart neurons. This shit, you literally have to try to feel for someone. I'm not sure how to put it into words. He's blowing Sigmund here a little bit more. Freud remarked, to love and to work are two full marks of maturity. Sigmund Freud also remarked, this coke is fucking bomber, Maslow. Running with this logic, divorce rates are a good way to read trends of work and empathy, right? If the marriage isn't working, then this person doesn't know how to love. In David's opinion, Rise of divorce is a sign of low emotional intelligence. We are eroding the social pressures where 50% of people get divorced, and that's okay now. If there isn't the shame and the social pressure, people become less emotionally intelligent is his idea because there's less to be attuned to. So we would probably spend our time building free energy devices and water desalination machines instead of having brunch and discussing faux pas. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good for humanity or the development of society. This is just the way we are when we're bored. We start micromanaging how people are supposed to act in society. 
David said forcing a marriage is like yelling at someone to be nice to you. Why aren't you calm? You have to be nicer to me. Look, why are you shaking? You can't muscle a bad marriage. Men and women deal with this differently. Obviously, men are quicker to leave a dysfunctional marriage and then women are quicker to call in help. And he said these are rooted at much lower levels in our development. Like you look at a child's soccer game. If a five-year-old boy gets hurt on the field, the coach comes out to walk him off. And then when a girl gets hurt, everybody takes a knee. And you have to wait until she's done crying to get the game going back. It's the same thing. Men just learn to walk away from the problem quicker. You don't want to be the center of attention. And the girl, we have to give five minutes to cry and get it out in front of everybody. Deborah Tannen wrote this book called You Just Don't Understand. And it's a book about how females are just that much more hormonal than males. Scientifically, we'll just never be able to understand. So why should I listen to my girlfriend's dumb problems if it's impossible for me to comprehend them? Business-minded, you're thinking if it's impossible for one person to understand something, it's on the flexible person to come to the negotiation table. Otherwise, you got to stop doing business with them. A relationship, you just have to listen to things you can never understand because boys are dumb and girls are logical. <laughs> Harsh criticism here in managing with the mind instead of the heart. You know, feeling for your significant other. You don't do that with your brain. You do it with your penis. Gotham was this wizard marriage counselor in Daniel's time, and he had a 94% accuracy in telling if a marriage was going to last. Everybody complains. He's going, this is the standard. You eventually hate your spouse. That's normal. But what changes between the people who don't last is they start to criticize the other person's character. It's like you just freaking turn on each other after a while. And the good marriage is you just realize how much both of you suck and then deal with your lives. Know your audience. Obviously, personally criticizing everything about your girl on the first date it's not going to get you laid. <laughs> you have to lie again to be functional as a human. This Gottman guy was able to predict 10 years of marriage by observing a couple for one day. Criticism, he says, always comes with contempt. So you got to do those compliment sandwiches. They always taste like shit anyway. This is the only time you're going to make a sandwich for your wife. <laughs> Yep, your cooking is passable. The garden outside looks nice. However, we got to up those blowjob numbers. The more you practice detoxifying self-talk, the more naturally you will non-defensively listen, and then you won't spew out on other people as well. You need to listen defensively because people are not truly in tune with their own plight. So not only do you have to react to the person's story, but you have to listen to their own bias. <laughs> There's two sides to every story. You're being a detective as well as an audience member. You spend 10 pages on the worst way to motivate someone is personal attack. Animosity grows fast. Obviously, in marriage, you just have to not break up. We're in the age of mass shooters, man. Animosity is <laughs> at a friggin' new level. Let's stop with the friggin' domestic disputes here. I go on Glassdoor a lot, obviously. Employees are able to voice out against their employers on this website, and so you see some of the most visceral, this person is scum of the earth, they care zero about providing a living wage for their workers. Personal attacks create prejudice. Kids who are around alcoholics swing the other way, like... We've talked about shock and traumatization on this show. And again, if you learn to manipulate people, be super emotionally intelligent, you're just going to make money off of other people's sadness. Daniel's life hack here is to have zero tolerance for intolerance. If someone is all negativity, you have to real life block this person. And think about how cis white males shouldn't be tolerated because they are the patriarchy. Goldman said group IQ is raised when intolerable people aren't included. You seriously have to be intolerable to people who want to draw lines in the sand. 
think about how retarded the national discussion is being made because half of the people are entertaining these ideas. It seriously makes factionalization, radicalization that much more justifiable. So I should make myself moronic just so I could interact with half of these people. I should learn how to make compliment sandwiches. Go too extreme on any side. You're going to be an angry hermit or an enlightened hermit. But if you want to be a human, you got to nail this intelligence thing down and work on that collective IQ. Let's go to chapter 6, Mind and Medicine. This one started with a quote from our boy Camus, and it's from the next book we have to come, The Plague. The line goes, Who taught you all this, doctor? The reply came promptly, Suffering. Who was that surgeon before Gerald? He didn't learn from going $200,000 in debt at medical school. Gerald learned through suffering. That girl quote from before. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> I'm bringing back the low IQ. You are creating a protected class. The can't understandables. You come home from work and can't listen to me for five minutes. Correct. My mental and physical exhaustion has lulled me into a catatonic coma of suffering. Please go make me a sandwich. Your mind can be the medicine. Just take yourself out of the internal dialogue while you're listening to the story. What was that anaphylaxic shock that doctor had? It's the best way to cope with life. David brought up the despair people feel when they become diagnosed with cancer. This would have to have happened to you to be able to truly relate. When you go to see a doctor, that latent fear is automatically bubbling up. You're expecting some heartbreaking news or a miracle. When someone gives you awful news, your psyche is always aware. Humans have a negative cognitive bias. That's what kept us safe. He gets into emotion playing a giant part in health and disease. This is the nocebo, baby. There are studies that have been done where they've given people what they thought was a shit pill. So they're like, this is going to make your stomach hurt. And it was nothing but sugar. And these people started to throw up. <laughs> Back to the beginning of the show. Your mind is a million times stronger than your body. But now I have to say, because if you go too hard on that holistic health thing, you're neglecting the geriatrics. <laughs> you know, you're not storing your negative emotions in your joint pain. Old people are actually low on synovial fluid. What is this? <laughs> Just meditate away your arthritis. David argues the immune system is the body-brain. Very interesting perspective. It's what we learned over the past year. You can't stay inside and then just hit yourself with a magic serum and then be okay. There's no shortcuts. The only way to maintain your body is through health and activity. And so the immune system is what keeps you healthy. If you're not living smart, your body brain is going to be idiotic. You know after you eat a cake and you get that... Oh man, unbuckle the pants, I'm laying on the couch. Everything you eat especially and what you do affects this body brain that you have. Honestly, the deeper you get into neuroscience, the more psychosomatic it gets. Like I'm talking about physics a lot and how the deeper you get into that, quantum entanglement makes zero sense. <laughs> Deepest level after you learn about the different gyres and lobes of the brain... We still don't know what the hell is going on up there. This mind-body is pretty interesting, and we've been referencing Plato. He said, let thy food be thy medicine, and thy medicine be thy food. He says lymph nodes and the spleen contain immune cells, which are used to regulate mood. So when you eat bad, like you're artificially sick, or just say you come down with a rhinovirus or a corona, not the one that nobody's seen under a microscope. When you're sick, it's actually more difficult to empathize. There's a higher comorbidity for COVID if you are depressed. Seriously, if you're not taking care of your mental health, your body just fucking disintegrates. Immunosuppression can last for weeks after bad eating and years after a bad depression. We're like fucking cats, dude. You know, like the cat when 
its brain starts saying, yeah, I think we're dying. Then they just crawl under a tree and wither away. <laughs> we had that other author who was like, if you put your brain on a shelf, it's just going to start to pickle. If you're eating bad and you have a cold for five years, you are kamikazing your emotional reward center. Another one of these immunosuppressants is anger, and it adds unnecessary strain on the heart. So more of that stored anger. Yo, that's got to be why men have heart attacks. <laughs> that's all of our male privilege. You just get so fucking angry. <sighs> Boom! You shake until one day you fucking explode. <laughs> what the hell is a heart attack? Your body isn't the first national bank of pain. You can't just keep vaulting all your pain away. <laughs> Another one of these witch doctor things they're discovering is that the body has a memory. Every single strand of your genetics, if you do eat bad and have that two-year depression, your body is going to build that in as a response. Okay, bad eating, cope for two years of sadness. Avoid those super highs and lows. Anger alone, Daniel says, doesn't cause coronary artery disease. The anger makes most people cope unhealthily. So that example I just did of flexing out so hard that you have a heart attack, coping unhealthily comes from the way you eat afterwards or the inability to get out of bed. It's really just a shorthand when people say, yeah, anger causes heart attacks. Obviously it doesn't. Your body's pain is stored in your joints. No. Like, if I'm sick and I go on a hike, I'm not being as cognizant of where I'm stepping. You roll more ankles. It's You have to be 100% to keep being 100%. It's a rigged game. The body's economy. Like I just cited that CDC depression and COVID study, he said infectious diseases increase in axioms of people who are anxious. So is it... How come the most anxious people always have herpes? You've heard this before, and there's all that street science. Well, did you know that every bump on your body is actually herpes? I'm pretty sure they're not, buddy. But with the amount of women that I've been with, I seriously should have friggin' Saigon venereal diseases, like East Asian goopy dick. <laughs> I'm not even kidding here, people. The lack of anxiety, I think, could go a pretty long way in your Louis bodies taking care of free radicals. Chronic anxious people are more prone to Alzheimer's. I'm telling you, you can worry yourself into diseases. He's got the studies. I don't know, man. I'm not going to start going condom-free if a girl tells me she has herpes. <laughs> Maybe dementia is contagious as well. <laughs> I feel dumber after I listen to our president speak. He mixed up his wife's name and his daughter's name. Did you see this? And more recently, he kissed his granddaughter on the lips on TV. The entire Biden family is exchanging herpes. Ended on this 100 bone marrow transplant study. It's very interesting. They do these high tech tests to make sure you are the perfect donor for the bone that's coming in. Of the 100 bone marrow transplants, 87 of them took. The only 13 that didn't, those people were diagnosed with chronic depression. I'm telling you, man, you are the cat under the tree. Unless you can convince yourself, hey, I'm doing something here. We're going towards it. We're doing it. Your body's just going to be like, all right, it's dying time. <laughs> Chapter 7, Trauma and Relearning. Second to last one here. Talk about the shock doctrine bring up Naomi Klein once again on the show. Shock, traumatize, and re-educate. You're ripped from your mom at four years old, indoctrinated for eight hours a day, and you wonder why you don't love math. I went a little bit hard on education earlier in the show. It's justified when you hear this point right here. In Boulder, Colorado, there was this professor that went viral a couple months ago because she had this study that said, White supremacy is the root of all evil, including black-on-Asian crime. It's because of white people. Everybody you know in 2021 has been traumatized to a degree and needs to relearn, I would say at this point, most everything. 
readjusting temperament is equally needed. You're not taught how to manage your emotions. Holy shit, man. If there was just like a... If you see in some states they banned meditation, I'm pretty sure it was Arkansas. <laughs> in the school district, they just banned yoga. What the... No stretching allowed. You're going to turn gay if you learn how to do a downward dog. Readjusting temperament. Daniel, our school system never taught us how to adjust our temperament. Everybody in America has lost their temper by the age of five. <laughs> I'm obviously not very emotionally intelligent. You know, I got sent to the vice principal as a kid for yelling at my books during silent reading time. This chapter had this story about a Cambodian refugee, and this kid's mom was having PTSD during a school play because Pol Pot almost did the right kind of socialism. you got to retrain your brain. Uh, people with shell shock, they've been doing immersion therapy. This is like clockwork orange. You have to hold your eyeballs open and then watch your friend get blown up by a grenade a million times for it to not have an effect on you. Some chit is this Cambodian guru, and he says, Memories are made more vivid with shared details. So in school... If you have a shared detail, it's more easy to remember something, even if that shared detail is a lie. If you have the loudest voice, it becomes the truth because it is a shared detail. Violent acts are more pernicious than natural disasters. He says both modify your epigenetics deeper than your brain is able to reach your DNA. Trauma is a real friggin' thing, especially natural disasters. If someone from the island of Hawaii starts living in Washington, they're going to live as far away from Mount Helen as possible. More practically, those um, genetic responses show themselves in times of famine. People who have had lineages that have went through times of no food are known to squirrel things away more. I think he started pretty far from this thesis here, where you don't have to have a high IQ to be in a healthy relationship. Common denominator you can draw is how PTSD is about identifying your triggers. Last half of the chapter is about how temperament is not your destiny. By knowing those activation points, you can change your character. The fact that cured depression is a real phrase... That should give you enough hope. <laughs> hope is the what you got to avoid because if you're too hopeful, then hopelessness is the only cure. You've heard this before. If you're too hopeful, then you're always looking for something good to be happen. The only hope is to be hopeless. You can relearn your temperament. It's easy to be less aggressive, but it's hard to unlearn timidness. So it's actually better to start your kid as an angry one rather than a shy one because... Sensitive children, Daniel says, become timid adults. And um, like they do in those Malcolm Gladwell books, he says the kids who are obnoxious and like walk up to the cashier, my mom is about to buy something. I bet that's why she's at the store, little Einstein. Those kids are the ones that grow up to be successful because they assert themselves. Timidness is a very hard temperament to change. And he ended on the obvious, childhood is the window of opportunity to build your bones, avoid trauma also said to stimulate your kid's mind again the parents are responsible for finding the best lane for the kid to contend in the rat race and they've done those rich rat poor rat studies like one rat is in a cage where it has a hamster wheel and he winds up to run faster fucking obviously than the rat who doesn't have the hamster wheel <laughs> and somehow these scientists say you see now poor kids are not as fast because they don't have hamster wheels science obvious one don't traumatize your kids last chapter number eight schooling the emotions shouldn't be called emotional intelligence it should really be called emotional literacy you're learning how to read other people's emotions and reflect it not to mention lots of intelligent people even in academia despise reading i know what i know i'm already the expert in my field how can you be truly knowledgeable about your emotions if you're illiterate? 
This chapter talked about Jefferson High School in Brooklyn. They had an extremely low literacy rate. And this was before it was cool. One kid bought in his dad's 38 caliber pistol, started firing shots at the school bullies. <laughs> Ultimate failure of schooling. You know, you're trusting your kids with the government to be safe. And also to make them smart. Instead, they are neither emotionally intelligent or these kids are dumb. You're executing your bully between fourth and fifth period. <laughs> this chapter is getting into the education production line. And what the school system is good for is teaching kids how to deal with stress, which is basically just creating a tolerance for stress. An alternative for indoctrinating a human could be teaching them to healthily cope with stress rather than just piling more on top and making the void bigger. You're loading kids up with stress to the point where they're overfilling and then pushing them out into the real world, hoping that they fracture and then get hooked on your pharmaceutical medications. The only reason these school shooting stories are so amazing is because this kid popped before his time. <laughs> like any time a big star pops before you think they got what they have, you're like, what's going on here? It's a spectacle. These kids probably would have cursed out their boss, became a date rapist. Their anger would have came out in some other way in society where there really aren't many watchdogs. <laughs> School, it's getting that much more stressful by the year that kids are shooting more and more. There's an epidemic. I brought up the Columbine kids before. They started the trend. Nobody made manifestos. Nobody had philosophical reasoning behind their shootings. <laughs> the scary part is there can be two kids that are that clever but are beyond emotionally detached. That's how neglectful our school system is to how your kid feels. This book was written in 1995. Sociologists were observing a trend of rising anxiety in children. And you've heard during uh, COVID lockdowns, teenagers are having record numbers of suicidal ideation. It's a good thing they all have these unchecked tempers. Most common disabilities in teens are mental disabilities. And it's dependent on the environment so that Jefferson High School... Obviously, it's going to provoke people who are on the edge. He said these mental illnesses arise in four symptoms. Withdrawal, attention or thinking problems, anxiety or depression, or delinquent and aggressive behavior. Basically, every way I act. <laughs> All of those four factors are induced by your environment. Daniel said natural psychopathy is very rare, much more rare than you'd think. And like I said before, your wife might go crazy and chop your penis off. That is a moment of environmental distress. It's not just, this person was latently crazy. Something is happening. Emotional self-control should be attained by second grade in Daniel's point of view. <laughs> it's insane to think about. There's 50-year-olds that get mad. <laughs> Wasn't I in front of you in line? You're going to be one person ahead. I literally think we digress as we age in this country, probably in the whole world. When I was in fifth grade, I was pretty good at waiting in lines. Emotional self-control. Maybe Americans just run hot. <laughs> the emotional state of the country is largely subordinate to the school system. We are all products of tenured teachers. David is actually recommending a school for bullies. He's like, we need to get the people that ruin a productive learning environment out of there. Kids actually feeling safe in the classroom has a huge leg up, again, on that Jefferson inner city school. I'm going to go to Bully University, major in wedgies. <laughs> what the hell is this? He's saying a separate school. He's saying this likely will lead to most of the populace being soft and the others being seething competitors. Is that not exactly what society sounds like? Depression prevention starts with eliminating negative catalysts. Again, those triggers. You gotta kick these assholes out. Even if it's the political landscape, you gotta kick the intolerant people out. I don't judge people by their skin color, but by the content of their character. I think that's bigoted in 2020. 
my diagnosis <laughs> is that it's a pretty bad sign for the country that our youth doesn't have one rebellious bone and suicidal ideation is being pushed by <laughs> our Netflix executive. The content is bullying our children. Let me tell you 12 reasons why that's a good idea. Chronic aggression, last part here, and stressors are causes for heart disease, which is the leading cause of death in this country. So if you're never taught how to discipline your emotions, they will boil up and eventually control you. Nobody cares about your emotions. They're your problem. Imagine living in a house full of working Mexicans and you come home at the end of the day. I'm tired. <laughs> you get ten glaring eyes staring at you. Dave is saying mask up. Nobody wants to hear it. Be emotionally intelligent. David says information is not enough. Knowing where your amygdala is, we need to see mental health workers giving kids time of day. No single kind of intervention can do the whole job. We have to come together to ask these bigger questions. What would we like to see an education of emotions look like? Ladies and gentlemen, that is Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence. A very personal one. I would recommend this book compared to the other self-help type ones that we've been having. Goldman's a good author. Maybe we see him again in the future. Next week, what do we got? Kicking off September, it's going to be a themed edition. We have Rule Makers and Rule Breakers. It's perfect. The back to school. Getting into what makes some people religious, some people rule followers, other people's menaces. I'll make it more culturally irrelevant than today's show, and it's less scientific. So I'm thinking about just totally reminiscing on the classroom days. I'm sure we'll have some funny stories. I'll tell in depth why my ball sack was on the SAT Proctor's hip door handle. One of the top-selling books of the 2010s, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. Definitely check that one out. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hit up Patreon. My name is Nick Munez. I'll see you all next week. Later.